The following is a message from Durkeetown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeetown, please visit our website at www.durkeetown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. Matthew 11, starting in verse 2. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ... He sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless this time together. I pray that the words of my mouth would be acceptable in your sight, and that you would open up the hearts of everyone who is here, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So our text this morning begins with John the Baptist in prison in verse 2. We learn the context of John's imprisonment later in Matthew chapter 14, which tells us that John is in prison for criticizing Herod's marriage. At the time, Herod ruled Galilee and was married to his brother Philip's divorced wife, Herodias. John knew that the marriage between Herod and Herodias was sinful, so he told him. In fact, in verse 4 of Matthew 14, we see that John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have her. Eventually, Herod got fed up with John's teaching and John's criticism of his marriage. And so, out of fear of potential retaliation from the people for killing a prophet, which is what he normally would have done, Herod put John in jail instead. So we have John in prison. Now, I don't want to speculate too much about the condition of the prison that John was in, but we can generally assume that it wasn't a pleasant experience. After all, we're talking about a first century jail. I don't think John was getting three square meals, a hot shower, and a phone call every day. However, we do know that John had at least some interaction with the outside world via his disciples. He finds out about the things that Jesus is doing, and he eventually sends word to Jesus to ask him questions. Nevertheless, life for John at this time is defined by wrongful imprisonment. And because of that, it looks bleak. The world looks harsh. Some historians estimate that John may have been in prison upwards of 10 months. 10 months is a long time. Some of us can't even fathom how long that would be. 
As you can probably imagine, spending that long in prison would begin to weigh on John, mentally, physically, and potentially even spiritually. Now, in order to understand John's perspective, as he hears about what Jesus is doing, we must examine the broader Jewish community's thoughts during this time. In the first century, Jews believed that the Messiah would come and establish the kingdom of God on earth in an emphatic fashion. If we look at the Old Testament, we can see examples of this that might point us in the right direction. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7 says, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Now that sounds pretty spectacular, doesn't it? So the Jews during this time, including John, would most likely interpret this as the Messiah is going to come and establish and rule over the kingdom of Israel on earth in a sudden and commanding way. They imagine Israel being restored and the destruction of their enemies, a destruction of everyone that might oppose them. To establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. In the present case, they're imagining swift justice being brought to Rome. Now, what's the problem here? Their thinking is clouded with an earthly view. Their thinking is defined by what they know, or think they know, about the world and the way that God operates. They're expecting the Messiah to arrive and immediately flip the established government on its head and reign politically. And that's not what happens. Hindsight is 2020, though, isn't it? It's easy to read this in 2022 and say, come on, guys, you didn't get that? You read Isaiah, right? Don't you remember that the Messiah would be despised and rejected? That he would be wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities? The Jewish people during this time may have had what many of us in this room known as selective listening. For the parents in the room, you know it as that little mute button inside your child's head that mysteriously turns on and prevents them from hearing things they don't want to hear. When mom says, do your laundry and then you can play video games. Oh, you said I can play video games? <laughs> or you can go out with your friends once your homework is done. Homework? I didn't hear anything about homework. In a similar sense, the Jews only heard what they wanted to hear, what fit their expectations. Oh, the Messiah is going to come and perform some miracles. And I guess he might suffer a little bit, but that doesn't matter because he's going to save us. He's going to establish the kingdom of God on earth and rule forever and ever. That sounds good. Let's focus on that part. We learn later in Luke exactly how the kingdom of God would come. Luke chapter 17, verse 20 says, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he, meaning Jesus, answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now, this passage could be a completely different sermon, but for our application, Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is here. 
The kingdom of God is at hand because he is in their midst. They don't recognize it as the kingdom of God because they expect it to come loudly. They expect it to come with the Romans being supplanted by the rule of Israel. But Jesus says, no, the kingdom of God won't come in a way that can be observed. No, it won't be obvious so that you can point it out and say, oh, there it is. No, the kingdom of God will be established in and through his church as the word of God is proclaimed and accepted. As the people hear and accept the teachings of Jesus Christ and his disciples. As the Holy Spirit works within them and transforms their hearts to accept Jesus as their Savior. But John doesn't know all this at the time he's in jail. John knows that he was the one sent to prepare the way for the Lord, but he doesn't know the details of how everything is going to play out. John is hearing that Jesus is teaching and performing miracles, but he's still sitting in jail. There's no overthrow of power and establishment of the kingdom of God on earth that is apparent to John. Instead, John hears about a carpenter and a group of fishermen. And that's why he begins to question. God, you said that the Messiah would rule over the nations and put down our enemies. God, if you have sent your Messiah, why does the world still seem so dark? God, if your Messiah was to bring justice to the nations, then why am I sitting in jail right now? God, when are you going to do the things that you said you were going to do? So John sends word by his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? And how does Jesus respond? In verse 5 of Matthew 11, he says, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. All of these things that were written in Isaiah and read for us earlier. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Jesus is effectively saying to John, Look, I am the fulfillment of these promises that were told in Isaiah. You want a sign that I am the one? Look at these things that I am doing. Have faith in me, for I am the Lord your God. Sometimes it's easy to approach God's love with your own expectation. Similar to how God had his own expectations of what God was going to do in his time, we all have expectations of what God is going to do in our world. And when things seem bleak, we tend to doubt his love. God must not love us because of all the horrible things that are happening in the world. Many of you have probably heard the argument, if God is sovereign and God loves us, then why do bad things continue to happen in the world? God can't possibly be a loving God and a sovereign God when there are kids starving in our own neighborhoods, when mass shootings continue to happen, when sexual immorality spreads unchecked, when human trafficking continues to get worse and worse. The list goes on. I would challenge each one of us that when the world seems harsh 
and bleak, that we would turn and put our faith in Jesus Christ. The greatest gift of all, the once and future coming of Jesus Christ, is a gift sent in love. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, so that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus was sent to die on the cross for our sins, so that he could take the penalty of sin for us. So that it was him on that cross being crucified, rather than each one of us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, But God showed his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That doubt that you feel directed towards God, or that second guessing of his love for you, is exactly what Satan wants. He wants your heart to be hardened towards God. He wants you to focus on those times that you thought God let you down. Because something didn't go the way you hoped. No matter how doubtful you get, remember that God doesn't owe us anything. And yet, we have all received the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, his Son. It was funny, when my dad found out that the sermon I was preaching was on love, he said, they couldn't give you a topic that you had a little more experience with? (laughs) All right, Dad, thanks for that one. Um, But it doesn't matter if I never experience love from another human being on earth again. I received the greatest act of love in history in that my Savior died so that I may repent of my sins and follow him to eternal life. I want to draw your attention back to the text in verse 6, when God says, And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. And you might be sitting there like, What does that verse mean? I don't really understand what he's saying there. It goes back to you expecting something. It goes back to you thinking that you have a plan, and it's going to go exactly the way that you think it is. Another translation of the text is, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus is saying, Blessed is the one who trusts in me, although things don't always go according to your plan. Blessed are you who has faith in me, despite trouble or hardship in your life. That's where we stumble. It's easy to have faith in God when everything in your life is going right, isn't it? How about when it's not? As soon as something doesn't go right, or something doesn't go the way you expected it should, well, that's it. Throw your hands in the air. God doesn't love me anymore. Maybe you didn't get that promotion at work you've been hoping for. Or maybe a family member gets sick. Or maybe you haven't been blessed with great kids or grandkids yet. Or maybe God is taking his time sending you a wife or a husband. Or there's turmoil in your marriage. Whatever the case may be. Have you ever looked at your life circumstances and thought, wow, I must be the only one that God doesn't love? Eight billion other people on this earth and God doesn't love me because I'm not good enough? Sometimes even harder still is when you see a coworker, a friend, or a family member, and it appears that they've got everything going for them. And then you start comparing your circumstances. Oh, God must not love me as much as he loves that person. Well, I've got some news for you. 
We don't have to do anything to win God's love. And trust me, it hasn't run out. We are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves and not from works. I would encourage you when you're confronted with those doubtful thoughts, or if you're feeling like God has abandoned you, go immediately to the Word of God and prayer. I want to reiterate Pastor Mike's teachings from the last couple weeks regarding see, say, and do. See, if you're going to have faith in God in your times of doubt, you need to spend time in His Word to see and hear about God's love demonstrated time and time again in the Scriptures. Say, if you're going to trust in Him and trust in His perfect timing, you need to have a personal relationship with God through prayer. Bring your needs to Him. Luke chapter 11, verses 9 and 10 say, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. And finally, do. We are charged as Christians to do the works of the Father. Demonstrate love in your daily lives, just as God showed his eternal love for us through his Son. It is important to remember that God is always with you. Just as he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, he also sends the Holy Spirit to guide us and help us in our walk of faith. I like the passage from Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, which says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. He will not leave you or forsake you. We see this demonstrated in the second part of the text as Jesus begins to talk about John the Baptist to the group. Saying, what did you go out to the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare the way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Listen to the way that Jesus talks about John. More than a prophet. Among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. This is a lot different to how we might respond to someone who questioned us in the same way. How would we respond in a similar situation? I know what my response would probably be. Cold, indifferent. I probably wouldn't want to talk to that person for a while. And yet, even after John questions him, Are you the one we've been waiting for, or should we wait for another? Jesus responds with compassion, saying that there has not been a greater man born of a woman than John. And yet, John still fell victim to expectation. John still fell victim to doubt. Here, John is supposed to be the best of us, 
the one sent before Jesus to prepare the way for him. And yet, even he's not exempt from those feelings of uncertainty, of doubt. And so now some of you are thinking, well, John the Baptist can't do it. What hope is there for me? But your hope should not be in yourself because the flesh is weak. Your hope should be in the Lord your God because he is a sovereign and loving God. Spend time in the word of God. Develop a relationship with Jesus, the one who sacrificed to take the blame for you. Jesus intercedes on our behalf before the throne, and no one goes to the Father but through him. It wasn't enough that John the Baptist came to prepare the way for the Lord or that Jesus performed miracles. It was the gift of love, an eternal love, a perfect love from God the Father. Do you have a relationship with God this morning? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and repented of your sins? If not, I would encourage you to see Pastor Ken, Pastor Mike, one of the elders, or myself before you leave here this morning, and we can talk to you about what it means to be a Christian. For those of you in the room who are Christians, I'll ask you the same question. How is your relationship with God this morning? Have you been diligent about reading your scripture and going to God in prayer? Is it evident to those around you at work or at school or even in your own home that you're a follower of Jesus? I would again encourage you to practice see, say, do every day in your own life. Read your Bible, engage in the scriptures, talk to God in prayer, love one another, and fellowship with the body of Christ this Advent season as we celebrate the love of God through the birth of Jesus Christ, his Son. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time together. I pray that the words of my mouth would penetrate the minds and the hearts of those sitting in the audience and that they might turn towards you. And I pray, Lord, that you would just help us in the rest of the service and the rest of our fellowship, that we would turn to you and practice the same love that you showed us by sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. Amen. Thank you, Jude. I was thinking about the table, and none of us this week earn our way into the table. None of us do. We're all unfaithful at some point within this week. But God in love and grace has invited us to join him in this meal. Isn't that wonderful? Don't have to be perfect. Don't have to earn your way into it. He's done so because he loves us. Because he loves us. So you're welcome and encouraged to join us if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I would discourage, I would tell you, don't come to this. Thank you for listening to this message from Durkytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkytown, please visit our website at www.durkytown.org.